It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. One for three. One for three or yeah, one and that's two? That's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 696 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, April the 6th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows covering all 30 NBA teams for you. We've also got the NFL, MLB, NHL, and college ranks covered for you as well. Most of the teams that you care about in all of those leagues cover with a local host covering those teams three to five days a week as we continue to trudge along here with no sports but lots of really great creative stuff coming out across the network including this week on the network uh, a lot of looking back at the best seasons in respective franchises histories it's a pretty cool idea lots of people taking different ways to look at it and I hope you decide to go check some of those shows out because they're great and on that very note let's get into today's show which is about last season which obviously is the best season in Raptors franchise history and more particularly it is about the second round against the Philadelphia 76ers finally I have recorded part two of the audiobook series of me reading we the champs dropping in clips all that fun stuff and uh, we go through all seven games of the Sixers series today so hope you enjoy it tomorrow on the show I'm going to be joined by Vivek Jacob we're going to talk about the Sixers series at length do some retrospective on it Wednesday I will drop the audiobook of the Bucks chapters from we the champs and then Alex Wong my co-author for we the champs is going to join me on Thursday Thursday to talk about the Bucks series. Friday going to be a fun episode trivia of the 2019-20 or sorry the 2018-19 season, the Raptors championship season with Vivek Jacob and Katie Heindel. Going to be a lot of fun. We'll go on tangents. I'm sure it'll be great. So stay tuned for that later in the week. And with that, we will get to the readings, the dramatic audiobook readings of the Sixers chapters in We the Champs. Enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, go jump around when you hear Kawhi hit the buzzer beater again because it kicks ass every single time. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. April 27th, 2019, Toronto, Ontario, Eastern Conference Semifinals, Game 1. Raptors, 108, 76ers, 95. Some words just aren't part of the Toronto Raptors' playoff lexicon. Easy may be the foremost example. Series opening victories had been rare enough for the franchise throughout its history. Convincing ones were just about unheard of. For at least one night, though, to open the second round, it seemed like easy might creep into the team's vocabulary for a couple weeks. 
Kawhi Leonard spent the spring squashing preconceived notions about the Raptors in the postseason. So maybe it's no surprise that he busted open the Sixers so casually in Toronto's 108-95 Game 1 win. He didn't waste time carving open a Sixers defense that would prove nearly impenetrable in the days to come. Apart from a sticky start for Toronto's offense and a 7-2 Sixers run early on, the home side was the controlling owner of the game's flow. At the end of a 39-31 first quarter that saw the Raptors string together a run of 14 straight successful offensive possessions, Leonard had already posted 17 of his eventual 45 points on the night on a tasty 7-of-9 mark from the field. He wasn't alone in eviscerating the Sixers. Matching Leonard point for point, shot for shot, was Pascal Siakam. There's a case for Leonard and Siakam having been unmatched as a duo around the league to that point in the playoffs. North of 50 points a game against the Magic had come from the hands of the Raptors' top two offensive options. With their success tearing into Philly in the opening 12 minutes of the series, it seemed as though maybe a formula of stout defense and a two-headed scoring monster would be enough against the paper-thin Sixers. Only five points were produced by the guys not named Leonard or Siakam in the first frame, and Toronto still led by eight. Surely, their two-pronged dominance would last forever, right? Leonard looking to weave his way. He does. Beautiful spin. Kawhi Leonard with a fantastic finish. In favor of Philly, 31-20. Denied! Kawhi Leonard! The rejection! Siakam! A spicy pea slam! Helping matters was the obvious discomfort of Philadelphia's best player, Joel Embiid. Embiid missed the third game of his team's opening round win over the Brooklyn Nets to nurse a knee injury that held him out of a string of games late in the Sixers' season. He still wasn't quite right in Game 1. Adding to his personal pain was the guy lined up across from him in the paint, Mark Gasol. At the February 7th trade deadline, when the Raptors acquired Gasol in exchange for Jonas Valanciunas, DeLon Wright, CJ Miles, and a second-round pick, it was almost too obvious that it was done with Embiid in mind. Though Embiid spent much of his career bullying whichever poor big man drew his assignment on a given night, Gasol had historically been the paper to Embiid's rock. In five previous regular season matchups, Gasol had held Embiid to a piddly 14 points a game on a field goal percentage that almost looked like a typo. 34.4. Gasol wasn't some random trade target. And yet, even with Gasol walling off Embiid from easy buckets, the Sixers, as would become the tale of the series, were still great when Embiid was on the court, and a toilet swirl when he sat. The second quarter saw coaches Nick Nurse and Brett Brown have their own rotation patterns tested. Nurse entered as the traditionalist, starting second quarters with bench-heavy, less reliable lineups, as most teams tend to do. Brown, meanwhile, had his hand forced by a slim-picking set of reserves, and was a little more kooky with his subs, often countering those more plush Raptors lineups with Embiid-led starter-rich units. The result? Each team would inevitably come across stretches during which a glaring advantage would absolutely have to be pressed. With Gasol having played the opening 9-27 of the first, only about half of which came against Embiid, Serge Ibaka found himself opposite Philly's post-up machine to open the second frame, a span that proved to be the hairiest the Raptors would encounter all night. Any hint of post-game fan angst towards Nurse was directly tied to this stretch. Embiid playing just 30 minutes meant it wouldn't have been hard to have Gasol match him minute for minute. But Nurse, unlike his predecessor Dwayne Casey, was not about bending to the will of the opponent. He, at least for one game, was going to give Ibaka a chance to bang with Embiid. Quote, I think it's certainly for sure it's something he's earned, said Nurse of why he opted to trust Ibaka with the Embiid check. Said Nurse of why he opted to trust Ibaka with the Embiid check into the second half, despite a rocky second quarter that saw the Sixers claw within one point. Quote, as the game wears on, he seems to get better and better, Nurse added, alluding to Ibaka's sprightly second half in which he kept the dam from bursting. Quote, we can't play Mark the whole game, so we gotta get him out there. 
He really was something down the stretch, blocking shots and rebounding, and making some hard drives. And he definitely got in the rhythm of the game there in the fourth quarter. Game one essentially ended when Embiid was forced to sit after a threatening start to the fourth quarter. Brown brought in a very green Jonah Bolden to play backup center, and the Sixers got blitzed. It was a sequence that highlighted what would become the central struggle of the series for Philadelphia. Embiid had to sit at some point, and there was no security net to keep the bottom from caving in when he did so. Even with the job Gasol and Ibaka did against Embiid's grace plus power postgame, Embiid finished with just 16 points and 5 of 8 shooting, the Sixers were plus 4 in his 30 minutes. Toronto won the game by 13. The terms of the series appeared to be set over the course of the opening 48 minutes. Embiid would likely win his minutes, Toronto had to cruise when he sat, and Leonard and Siakam had to carry the offensive load while the supporting cast struggled through its persistent shooting troubles. Game 1 made it seem like a simple equation to replicate three more times for Toronto. But remember, the Toronto Raptors don't do easy. Leonard the other way. He got met by Simmons and still converts. Kawhi Leonard is a machine. 45 for Kawhi Leonard. It's been an incredible performance. 45 and 11. 16 of 23 from the field. April 29th, 2019. Toronto, Ontario. Eastern Conference Semifinals, Game 2. 76ers, 94. Raptors, 89. Ah, that's right. This is what playoff basketball is supposed to feel like. If Game 1 of Raptors Sixers was an outdoor acoustic show in a park, Game 2 was a metal show in a basement venue beneath a bowling alley. It was sweaty, compact, and mean. It's a wonder nobody lost an eye. Brett Brown spent the day off between Games 1 and 2 ruminating on his team's series opening loss, cooking up alterations to help give his team a better chance of winning the minutes with Joel Embiid on the floor. The minutes without him were always going to be a lost cause. The Sixers flashed two big changes out of the gates in Game 2. First, Joel Embiid was taken off of Marc Gasol and tasked with guarding Kawhi Leonard's right-hand man, Pascal Siakam, who with 29 Game 1 points had bumped his nightly postseason scoring average up to 23.7. And in place of Jimmy Butler, who bore the brunt of most of Leonard's Game 1 outburst, Philly's enormous shot-afraid point guard Ben Simmons drew the toughest assignment one could possibly draw in the 2019 playoffs. If he couldn't stifle Leonard at least a little bit, the Sixers were surely toast. One adjustment worked better than the other. After a promising first possession from Siakam, where he turned Embiid into the latest victim of his silky spin move, it looked like he might remain unfettered in the face of Embiid's comical largeness. You see Tobias Harris starting off on Mark. Oh, oh my goodness. Siakam, the creativity! And that was a Cameroonian matchup. <laughs> Not so much. Over the remainder of the game, Siakam traded in his typical high-grade efficiency for bricks, finishing the night with 21 points and a lopsided 9 of 25 shooting. Embiid had him spooked. Leonard still did his thing, but Simmons nobly made him work for every single inch of space he needed to post 35 points, 7 rebounds, and 6 assists. Considering Leonard's lofty standards, his barely above 513-24 clip from the field stands as an achievement in defense. Philly's oppressiveness extended to the rest of the Raptors as well. If you wipe away Leonard's contributions, Toronto shot a combined 20 of 66 on the night. Only one other Raptor, Kyle Lowry, joined Leonard and Siakam in scoring double digits. He finished with a vital 25 and 5. Without Leonard's well-earned production, Toronto would have had no chance of lingering within striking distance into the late stages of the game. Matters were complicated by the arrival of some bench reinforcements on the Sixers' side. James Ennis offered up 13 points and 6 boards, while Greg Monroe, a Raptor up until the trade deadline, looked for a moment like the solution to Philly's lack of big man depth with 10 points in 11 minutes. 
But there the Raptors were, having chipped away what was a 19-point Sixers lead with 4.18 to play in the second quarter, stuck just six points heading into the fourth. A small detail about the Sixers that you might have forgotten before the final 12 minutes of Game 2. Philadelphia traded for Jimmy Butler earlier in the season. Butler, a notorious Raptor killer throughout his career, was brought in to be Philly's closer. And boy did he ever live up to his job description in Game 2. Butler canned 12 of his 30 points over the final frame, going a perfect 5 of 5 from the line as well. Every Raptors punch met a mean Butler counter. Quote, This was James Butler, said Brown after the game. That was the adult in the gym. He was just a tremendous sort of rock. Quote, My name isn't James. It's literally Jimmy, Butler responded, deadpan. Toronto's last attempt to break through and even the game came in the form of a Kyle Lowry triple, a Tobias Harris turnover on the other end, and a Siakam rebound and putback of his own miss that cut the lead to 90-89 with 46 seconds to play. Butler needed someone to match his will to snatch the potentially series-saving win. Prior to Game 2, it wasn't entirely clear whether the fulcrum of the entire series, Embiid, would even play. A bout of gastroenteritis rendered him questionable in the lead-up to the opening tip. He played, though not especially well until it was absolutely necessary. With a drive and stutter step into a finish through Siakam and Gasol, probably the biggest play of his career, Embiid put the Sixers up by three with just 24 seconds to play. Siakam floats it up, no, rebound, Siakam lays it in! Embiid, a ball fake, Embiid spins to the rim, pump fake, Embiid gets the bucket, a big one for the 76ers. Quote, I had the shits. Embiid bluntly joked about the symptoms of his illness when asked how he was feeling after Game 2. Quote, But these are my guys and I want to show up every night and play hard. Still, Toronto, through a night of deficient offense and Embiid and Butler's late heroics, had a chance to tie the game and force overtime. You couldn't ask for a better look than the one they got either. Kyle Lowry, ever cheeky, tried and failed to slip a dribble through the legs of Harris, inciting a mad scramble for the loose ball. Through the chaos, Danny Green, the NBA's second most accurate long-range shooter in the regular season, had acres of space to pull up and release the shot. Iron. Plenty of time to get with the attack. Oh, Lowry trying to put it through Harris's leg, saves it for Leonard. Leonard gives it up. Green for the tie. Off the rim. Gasol keeps it alive. Knocked around. Harris has got it from Philadelphia. They have to foul. Sixers rebound. Game. Philly had taken home court advantage away, the series set to head back to the hostile Wells Fargo Center. This was going to be a series. Baseball pass, Leonard, short, and that's it. A major bounce back by the 76ers. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. May 2nd, 2019, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Eastern Conference Semifinals, Game 3. 76ers, 116, Raptors, 95. Toronto had yet to truly be kicked in the teeth through seven games of playoff action. Sure, the DJ Augustine game winner to kick off the Magic series was annoying for fans, but the Raptors as a team seemed to be entirely unperturbed. Their subsequent schooling of Orlando over the next four games proved as much. Losing a coin flip game to the Sixers at home also stung. Adorning the edges of the box score in silver, however, was the knowledge that despite Toronto doing just about everything it could do to lose Game 2, 
it was a missed three from a three-point specialist away from overtime. Joel Embiid's knee was still sore, Ben Simmons was still defiant in his opposition to shooting anything but layups, and Greg Monroe couldn't possibly be considered a viable answer to Philly's issues backing up Embiid, right? Even without home court advantage, you could argue the Raptors still had control of the series. Any notions of comfort or confidence would be obliterated by the end of Game 3 in Philadelphia. Jimmy Butler was spectacular once again, nearly posting a triple-double with 22 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists on a tight 9-15 shooting. Philly's home crowd was raucous enough to spark debate back in Toronto about why the famously loud Raptors crowd was losing its thunder. Most troubling for Toronto, though, was that Embiid appeared to overcome his wretched bowels and achy knees in just two days. If any lingering discomfort still dogged his huge frame, the energy of the building ushered him through it. Embiid was in the kind of zone that supersedes smart coaching or great defensive effort. Game 3 marked the beginning of Nurse's slow inching towards matching up Gasol against Embiid minute for minute. Embiid responded to that by scoring a series-best 33 points on 18 shots. He grabbed 10 boards, dished 3 assists, and swatted 5 hopeless Toronto shots away as well. The implications of the latter stat impressed his coach the most. Quote, For me it goes straight to the blocks, Brett Brown said in assessment of Embiid's masterclass. We could talk about a windmill dunk, you could talk about some finesse post moves in that, but I go to defense. He's our crown jewel defensively, and I suppose offensively too, but certainly defensively, and his rim protection and shot blocking ability tonight stood out as much as anything in an incredible performance. Philadelphia's lead seesaw between cozy and precarious through three quarters, but it was never surrendered. The sternest challenge to the Sixers' vice grip over Game 3 came in the closing moments of the third, as Kawhi Leonard started Kawhi Leonarding. At the 8-16 mark of the third, the Sixers held a commanding 18-point edge. At that instant, Leonard posted the first of his 14 points in the quarter. It took just six attempts, all makes, for Leonard to compile them. Toronto trailed 89-81 after three. A spell on the bench for Leonard loomed to open the final quarter. He'd already accrued 32 high-leverage minutes to that point, and was a made free throw shy of a point-per-minute pace. Nurse sat him down, Fred Van Vliet drained a technical foul shot carried over from the previous quarter, and Toronto had to weather a Leonardless storm, ideally without seeing their 7-point deficit balloon past being manageable. The mouth kick the Raptors had avoided all spring was nigh. A measly 2 minutes and 23 seconds of rest for Leonard came at the cost of a game-sealing 9-0 run, during which time a frustrated Pascal Siakam boneheadedly tripped MB with an outstretched leg. Shot clock down to five again. Siakam drives it. Embiid shot blocked. His fourth block of the game. And then Siakam upset. Just letting his emotions getting the best of him. Embiid showed restraint there. It's a flagrant one. Unnecessary, but not excessive. But, again, it's two free throws and the ball. A very big call in the game. But right now, 12-point lead. And that's the hard part about getting Kawhi Leonard a couple minutes rest. While the flagrant foul call hurt, the real damage was done to Siakam's calf, though that wouldn't be revealed for another two days. Upon Leonard's return to the floor, Embiid crammed down a windmill dunk with a brazenness the Raptors hadn't seen since LeBron James spun a ball in Serge Ibaka's face before draining a three the year prior. Apart from Leonard's individual brilliance, Game 3, more than any other over the course of Toronto's championship run, felt like a chapter from the book of the same old Raptors. Quote, We've got to help him. We've got to help him, Kyle Lowry said of his superhuman teammate after the 21-point loss. Quote, Myself especially, I've got to help him score more. I've got to help him on the floor. We've all got to help him. He's playing unbelievable right now. 
We're not giving him any help. Me, I'm not giving him any help. We've got to help him. By the end of Game 3, Joel Embiid's bout of indigestion had been transferred to the guts of the entire Raptors fan base. While a familiar feeling, it was certainly not a welcome one. Game 4 would, more or less, be about saving the season. For the 76ers, an electrifying performance from Joel Embiid. May 5th, 2019. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Eastern Conference Semifinals, Game 4. Raptors 101, 76ers 96. What's a playoff run without wild, irrational swings of emotion? Just eight days after Toronto's euphoric, resistance-free win in the opener, the team found itself staring down the barrel of a 3-1 disadvantage its massive off-season gambles hanging very much in the balance. Game 4 against Philly was wrought with all the accompanying impending sense of doom Raptors fans know better than most anyone else. And some troublesome news in the lead-up to tip-off didn't calm the nerves. Just over 24 hours before game time, word came down that Pascal Siakam was dealing with a calf contusion and was listed doubtful for the first of many quote-unquote biggest games in franchise history the Raptors would contest during their run. People's minds rush back to Siakam's dirty trip of Embiid in the previous game. Did that play, with the game out of reach, really just cost Toronto its best chance of making it to the NBA Finals? With the Raptors bench having been MIA for three games, the likelihood of Toronto having the juice to survive a Siakam absence seems slim. Credit to Siakam. In the lead-up to game time, he was ruled to be active. He started, and while clearly hobbled, gutted out 29 minutes. It almost didn't matter that he scored just 9 points on 2 of 10 from the field. He provided something the Raptors desperately needed that day, a warm body. Quote, I don't want to say it limited me. I have no excuse if I'm out there on the floor, Siakam said afterwards. Quote, that means I'm ready to play. Maybe a little lateral movement, a little bit just because it was sore and also my hamstring was sore. Those two combined to just kind of, you know, make things a little tough for you to move or be as active as you want to be. No matter how much Siakam insists his calf didn't hinder him, it was clear that day that he was not his usual explosive self. Filling in the gaps was Serge Ibaka, the first Toronto reserve to do much of anything in the series. His 12 points, 9 rebounds, and 3 blocks were essential. His awakening from a series-long slumber opened up a scale-tipping avenue for Nick Nurse to travel down. Contrary to the popular small-skewing ways of the NBA in 2019, Game 4 saw Nurse opt for enormity. Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol had scantily played together since the two Spanish national teammates were united in Toronto. The playoffs forced coaches to defy their own instincts, though. Philadelphia's entire ethos is centered on being huge. To save the season, Nurse had to deviate from the center platoon he'd rolled out all year and fight size with size. Abaka and Gasol played nearly half the game side by side, with a lot of those minutes coming in one of the most intense stretches of crunch time in Raptors history. Butler against the shorter Lowry, moving his feet well, active hands had to launch. Wow, my! It's been that kind of afternoon for Jimmy Buckets. Butler picked up Leonard. It didn't matter. Kawhi Leonard drills another jumper. Nice flare to the corner by Redick. Got the three ball. Good, good rotation of the ball. In seven fourth quarter minutes, a Lowry, Green, Leonard, Ibaka, Gasol fivesome held the Sixers to fewer than half a point scored per possession. Philly did not hold back their best guys. Both Butler and Harris played all 12 minutes in the quarter and Beaton Simmons played 10 apiece. It was a quarter ripped straight from a monster movie, giants wailing on each other back and forth. 
Not once in the first 11.30 of the quarter was either team ahead by more than two possessions. The game was thirsty for a moment. Kawhi Leonard happens to have a knack for moments. Toronto's offense ran into some mud in the fourth quarter. The Leonard Gasol pick and roll was about the only trick the team had left in the bag. Possession after possession, Gasol would hit Leonard's man, Simmons, with a screen. Joel Embiid would switch on to Leonard in space, and Leonard did what he could to scrape out buckets against one of the most imposing defenders in basketball. With 106 remaining and the score 91-90 for Toronto, the script repeated itself again. Gasol tagged Simmons, and Embiid picked up Leonard. This time, instead of driving into traffic the way he'd routinely done earlier in the quarter, Leonard stepped back, one second on the shot clock, and launched a three over the outstretched arm of Embiid. Cash. Embiid switches. Fires a long one. Nothing but net. Kawhi not. Quote, I came off the pick and roll and they tried to stagger us. Joe was a good defender, really long, explained Leonard postgame. Quote, at the time I looked up at the shot clock and tried to create as much space as possible. I just took a shot and believed it would go in, and it did. It did. And the Raptors hung on for 60 seconds to take game four and reclaim home court. Leonard believed it would go in. Raptors fans had reason to believe, period. Out, on the 76ers, as the Raptors come back, bounce back with resilience in a robust way to win game four to even the series at two games apiece. May 7th, 2019, Toronto, Ontario. Eastern Conference Semifinals, Game 5. Raptors, 125, 76ers, 89. Toronto was favored to beat Philadelphia going into their second-round series for a reason. The Raptors were deeper, better on both offense and defense in the regular season, and had the consensus best player in Kawhi Leonard. Philadelphia probably outgunned Toronto when it came to top-end talent. Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid were all-stars. Ben Simmons would be one day, too. Even Tobias Harris put together a solid all-star case in the Western Conference before he was dealt to Philly. But it was that trade, and the Butler deal before that, that left the Sixers with a far more unstable chemical makeup than Toronto. The latter had congealed into a swarming and scoring monster, with the addition of the binding agent that was Marcus Gasol. Philly hadn't even really established an obvious hierarchy for touches. All those advantages and more were pressed by the Raptors in Game 5. That Tuesday night at Scotiabank Arena, Toronto didn't need another Leonard explosion to take the boot to Philly. After a closely contested 27-26 first quarter, the Raptors cruised on the back of six guys in double figures and, finally, more than one bench player chipping in a passable performance. Philly lost touch over the course of Toronto's 37-17 second quarter on the strength of Nurse's new toy, the Jumbo Frontcourt. Ibaka and Gasol combined for the first four buckets of the quarter. Toronto's half-court defense crested, holding the Sixers to just six makes on 20 shots in the frame. And Leonard capped the quarter with the first of two thunderous dunks he jammed that night. Leonard makes his move. Oh! That's a man's jam! Kawhi Leonard! Kawhi not. Both Harris and James Ennis are immortal now, in poster form. Embiid had his soul snatched a quarter later. Just the fifth shot of the night. Game 5 would be the worst effort Embiid would churn out over the course of the series, as his knee concerns bubbled up to the surface once again. His 8 turnovers were 3 more than the number of times he filled the bucket, and his minus 15 proved to be the only negative plus-minus total he'd accrue in the entire series. Even with a fully functioning Embiid, the Sixers towed a precarious line whenever he'd sit. A bad Embiid game left the Sixers without a prayer. 
Quote, oh yeah, he was playing. He was trying to play hard, help his team get the W, said Ibaka when asked if Embiid appeared to be at full health. Quote, I just think we do a great job as a team to make everything tough for him. Every time he's catching the ball in the post, we're making sure he has to work for every basket. Things were so stacked against the Sixers that even Danny Green had himself a night. The 2019 playoffs were a stark deviation from Green's regular season. For stretches between October and April, it seemed as though Green simply could not miss. Toronto finished tops in the league in scoring efficiency in transition, largely on the back of Green being money on the break. His drop from 45.5% to 35.5% from the regular season to the postseason was troubling enough. What happened to him in the games following his 5 of 7 outing from long range in Game 5 is a mystery that may never be solved. But for one night, he was a party to the Raptors' onslaught. Point off the halftime lead. Danny Green, bullseye! It's a three. The 36-point thumping was stand as the most bloated victory in Raptors' playoff history. A Game 6 in Philly lurked on the horizon, but Game 5 truly felt at the time like the Raptors had realized they were the better team and acted on it. Good thing momentum always carries over from game to game in the NBA playoffs. The Raptors dominate the 76ers 125 to 89 the final. May 9th, 2019, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Eastern Conference Semifinals, Game 6. 76ers 112, Raptors 101. Typically when two teams are closely matched, the games within a long series between them will play out as such. Toronto and Philadelphia march to a different beat. Rather than engaging in drawn-out, high-intensity duels ending in narrow decisions, the Raptors and Sixers took turns trading game-deciding haymakers in the opening minutes of their bouts. Toronto's latest knockout blow in Game 5 really shouldn't have been one from which the Sixers could recover. A 36-point waxing to force a do-or-die elimination game might have broken the spirit of lesser teams. These Sixers were a resilient bunch, though, and they had home court for Game 6. Early on in the penultimate game of the series, it looked as though the Raptors might be buried by a quick Sixers barrage. Three consecutive Jimmy Butler buckets landed the Raptors in a 13-5 hole when Nick Nurse called his first time out to settle things down. Wells Fargo's center went ballistic. We had game one here in the first round, and they were booing in the first quarter. Yeah. Out of the break, Toronto bucked the series-long trend of teams laying down at the first sign of trouble. Forcing either a miss or turnover on nine straight Sixers possessions, the Raptors quickly rattled off a 10-0 run to inch them ahead by two. They would not lead the game again. Philly punched back with might, and each subsequent Raptors attempt to close the gap would be parried away with relative ease. Quote, it was kind of a strange game of runs where they came out and blasted us and we crawled back in and, and then they went right back on maybe an 8-0 run or something like that, Nurse described. Quote, there was just too many fast momentum swings. Any stretches wherein Toronto flirted with an earnest comeback in Game 6 coincided with Boban Marjanovic barely coordinated 7-3 frame filling in for Joel Embiid. Brett Brown simply responded to those spurts of Boban-induced trouble by subbing Embiid back in. Toronto wilted in response every time. Embiid's pedestrian 17 points and 12 rebounds on 5 of 14 does not at all capture the all-encompassing grip the big man held over the game, and really, the series as a whole. In a game Philly won by 11, the Sixers were plus 40 in Embiid's 36 minutes of floor time. Marjanovic was a minus 18 in 6 minutes. Embiid's wobbly knee was a long way from the palm of his hand, the place in which the entirety of the series could be found. If only he could just play a full 48. Toronto's three best players were once again marooned on their lonesome island of productivity. 
Leonard, Lowry, and Siakam's efforts comprised 63 of the Raptors' 101 points, while the already listing supporting cast plummeted nose first into the sea. The utility of the Ibaka-Gasol pairing faded. If they weren't going to play to their size and manage more than a single offensive rebound in 13 minutes, what was the point, really? They got bludgeoned on the defensive glass, too. The only thing steady about Fred Van Vliet was becoming his knack for getting shut out from the floor. He was 0-for-1 in 16 minutes. Meanwhile, Philadelphia's ill-fitting stars coalesced into something that spelled doom for future iterations of the Eastern Conference. Ben Simmons, mostly relegated to Leonard Duty on defense and Butler watching on the other end through five games, snatched control of the game's pace from the jump. Quote, I think our poor shooting got him out on the floor a lot. Nurse said in assessment of Simmons' 21.8 rebound, 6 assist performance. Quote, I thought he made a lot more straight line, non-hesitant moves tonight. When he started to go, he started to go. With Simmons' late arrival to the series, the top-end talent disparity between the two squads revealed itself in full, robust light. When Philly stars played like that, the Raptors, or any team really, were in trouble. A Game 7 now stood, menacing in the painfully distant future. Two full days between Game 6 and 7, all for ruminating on the implications and history at play, seemed downright abusive to a Raptors fan base that had endured so much torment in the past. The Raptors would be at home, and they'd be favored. Something like 80% of Game 7's throughout history went to the team with the crowd in their corner. But winner-take-all games throw data and the comfort of large sample sizes in the trash. By getting pummeled in Game 6, Toronto exposed itself to being done in by the cruelty of basketball's deities. Leonard's future, and by extension, the course of the franchise for years to come, would hinge on the result of a single 48-minute game back in Toronto. No pressure. And a well-deserved standing ovation from the Philly faithful because the Sixers played lights out as they force Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals Sunday night in Toronto. May 12, 2019. Toronto, Ontario. Eastern Conference Semifinals, Game 7. Raptors 92, 76ers 90. Back in 2001, Vince Carter's Raptors took Allen Iverson's Sixers to a deciding seventh game in their second round playoff series. The morning of Game 7 in Philadelphia, Carter traveled with his mother on the private jet of Raptors controlling owner Larry Tannenbaum to Chapel Hill, North Carolina for his college graduation. He returned to Philadelphia afterwards to take on the Sixers with a spot in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks on the line. While the effect of his travel that day has always been overstated by Carter's grumpiest critics, his day trip stuck in the craw of fans as the beginning of his prolonged separation from the city he helped put on the basketball map. At the end of a defensive battle of a Game 7 that saw Iverson and Carter both shoot poorly, Carter had an opportunity to ensure no one would ever call back to his graduation decision ever again. With two seconds on the clock and the Raptors down 88-87, Del Curry inbounded the ball to Carter on the left wing. Without taking a dribble, he stopped, shook off a beckoning Tyrone Hill with a pump fake, and launched an off-balance 21-footer. It was heavy. It pinged off the back of the rim and bounced harmlessly away as time expired. And they've got Del Curry inbounding the ball. They're going to set screens for Vince Carter coming to it. Also watch the quick pass to Curry after he inbounds. Curry has it. Carter trying to get free. Carter at the buzzer. No good. And the Sixers hold on and advance to the conference finals. Philadelphia advanced. Vince would never again play a postseason game in a Raptors jersey. Toronto made the playoffs in 2002 after a thrilling stretch drive. Carter missed all of it with injury. 
He was traded to the Nets a season and a half later. The ghosts of 2001 lingered in the rafters of Toronto's Scotiabank Arena ahead of Game 7 of the same round against the same team 18 years later. The circumstances were different. Toronto was at home this time, and the Raptors roster was far more stout than the collection of Sage veterans that orbited around Carter back in 01. But the prize of a victory was all the same. An Eastern Conference Finals date with the Milwaukee Bucks and a realistic path to the NBA's championship series. Toronto fans are fabled for their anxiety. At times during the DeMar DeRozan Dwayne Casey era, you could plainly observe the Raptors players taking on the uneasiness of its fans in tight contests. ESPN NBA reporter Zach Lowe made talk of Toronto's collectively quote-unquote tight sphincters in the playoffs a running, entirely accurate joke for years. No previous Raptor game. Not the Game 7 against Brooklyn in 2014. Not either of the two winner-take-all games contested on the road to 2016's Conference Finals. Not even the doomed Game 1 against Cleveland a year prior was smothered in a layer of tension as thick as the one blanketing version 2.0 of Game 7 against the Sixers. Mercifully for neutrals, the game unfolded in a similar fashion to Games 2 and 4. Rugged, defensive, never out of reach one way or the other. Stressful as can be. The first quarter reeked of fear, or maybe it was just great defense. Toronto entered the quarter break with an 18-13 lead, a 12-minute score pulled straight from a Pistons-Pacers classic out of the mid-aughts. Toronto looked and felt like the better team at first, holding the Sixers off the scoreboard for four and a half minutes to open the game. Alas, when a J.J. Redick 3 notched the first Sixers' points, the score was only 6-3 in Toronto's favor. The home side was ice cold. Earlier that day, Portland and Denver's usually excellent offenses contested a similarly grimy Game 7 out west. There's a script these types of games have always followed, and the Raptors and Sixers left no room for improv. No team led by more than nine points at any point, Heading into the deciding fourth quarter, Philly had chipped away a point per quarter off the Raptors' five-point lead through one. Putrid as it was, the 36.5 field goal percentage posted by the Sixers was the better shooting mark of the two sides. Kawhi Leonard emptied his clip and had a 10 of 30 mark to show for it with 12 minutes left to play. If this game were a food, it would have been prison gruel. A constant throughout was Nick Nurse, after flirting with it over the last few games, going full bore in matching Marc Gasol's minutes with Joel Embiid's. Brett Brown couldn't trust anyone but his superstar big man to anchor the team. Nurse couldn't trust anyone but Gasol to make his life difficult. The result was a pair of exhausted seven-footers. Quote, yeah, I think the minutes things for both teams are probably going to be off the table, Nurse mentioned the day before Game 7. Quote, so I would expect the best players to play absolutely as many minutes as they possibly can all the way through until it's decided. Embiid played a series-high 45 minutes and 12 seconds out of 48 minutes. Gasol lined up across from him for every single one of those 2,532 seconds. Philly won the Embiid minutes by 10 points. It was the other 248 that were the problem. For all the preparation and strategery that goes on in the lead-up, Game 7s are often decided by fluky nonsense. Both Toronto and Philadelphia can attest. Coming into the night, Serge Ibaka had gone without a made three-pointer since Game 4 of the Orlando series. Ten consecutive missed attempts, many of them miles from going in. Naturally, he accounted for three of Toronto's seven made triples on the night, on five attempts. The last of them, he drilled in the face of Ben Simmons, striking a dramatic pose upon the landing. The outcome is just reluctant to shoot the basketball right now. And I tell you what, yeah. Ibaka. What about that three by Serge Ibaka? Style points are important. He finished the night with 17 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, and was a team best plus 22. Only Ibaka posted a shooting percentage above 50 for the Raptors. 
Quote, oh, he was huge, man, said Danny Green of Ibaka's efforts in Game 7. Quote, he was on the glass, offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds, blocking shots, making things difficult, and hitting threes. Kind of looked like me out there in the corner one time. A little pump fake, swing through, and no dribble shot. I've never seen him do that one before, but it was good to see. Ibaka's swaggerful triple came with 9.37 left to play in the fourth quarter. It stood as the game's most iconic shot for exactly 9 minutes and 37 seconds. With 4.2 seconds remaining and the score tied at 90, Kawhi Leonard had the opportunity to do what Vince Carter could not, finish off the Sixers with a single-made bucket. Toronto probably should not have been in the position it found itself. Eight seconds of game time earlier, Leonard had a chance to put the Raptors up three by making the second of two free throws. He clanged it and tried to crash the glass to collect his miss. Jimmy Butler pounced on Leonard's ill-time aggressiveness, retrieved the ball, and streaked coast-to-coast for a layup that tied the game, threatening to send the game to an overtime that not one person in the 19,800-strong crowd would have felt good about. Two-point game. Here comes Butler. Driving layup is good! He ties the game! 4.2 to go! Knifing his way, Jimmy Butler! The bucket was the first Philly had mustered in minutes as Toronto's swarming, recovering, and suffocating defense stymied and smothered Philly in the half-court all throughout crunch time, forcing a pair of shot clock violations and nearly a third. Quote, tenacious, tough, switching, Brown said of Toronto's late game D. Quote, one through five was a switch group and we had a hard time turning the corner. I thought we passed up a few shots that we should have shot and the clock evaporated quickly. I thought maybe we got a little too greedy, but give Toronto credit. After a Raptors timeout, the ball was advanced to the left hash mark at the west end of the floor. Marcus All's sure hands got the ball into Leonard, who dribbled right. Simmons was soon joined by Embiid in the effort to keep Leonard away from the open space, and the pair succeeded. With just four-tenths of a second on the clock, Leonard, contained in the right corner, pulled up and arched a high rainbow over the outstretched hand of the 7-2 Embiid. Leonard crouched in the corner to watch the flight of the ball. An arena sat silent, waiting to erupt. The ball bounced once, high, straight up. The come down took a lifetime. It bounced again, with a lower amplitude, and to the left. A third bounce, this time on the other side of the rim. Any further towards the back lip, and it probably goes the way of Vince's miss in 2001. And then a fourth. This time, the ball was resigned to its ultimate destination. The bottom of the bucket. Bedlam. The shot went in. Somehow. The Raptors won the series. Somehow. With the win, the Leonard experiment was vindicated in full. Sports fans spent a lifetime waiting for a moment as unexpected and euphoric as the one Toronto's mercenary superstar provided with his pinball bucket. The first ever series-clinching buzzer beater in a Game 7. The Raptors were moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals to play Milwaukee. Leonard's immortality in Toronto was sealed. It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. 
Download the Amazon Music app today.